Here we go on this Rumination Thursday, May the 9th, in the year of our Lord, 2019. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and with me is Wes Reimnitz. How you doing, Wes? How are you? I'm doing really good. Is it uh, still raining up your way? Well, it's not raining right now, but it's cloudy and cold. Well, I'll tell you, I just came from that area last night preaching at two congregations, and I was surprised. Not only was part of the Alton streets underwater, I I went through about a half a foot of water in one section, but the fields uh, just seemed to be steeped with water. How late is it that the farmers are getting their planting out? (laughs) Some of them still haven't gotten into some of the fields. Yeah, it's very muddy and wet up here. Yeah, I know. Boy, will that have a big impact on the growth season, you think? or? Uh, well, it just depends. Yeah. I mean, it'll be late this year. Okay. Well, we'll keep them in our prayers. What we're doing today is something different. We usually have a topic we like to talk about, but for some reason... I've received quite a number of emails that we will not be able to all get to on Open Mic Friday, particularly if some callers call in. And so I asked uh, Pastor Reimnitz to look at uh, a couple of them to see if we might be able to respond to them. And uh, one writer uh, says, please consider the following on your Law and Gospel program. As a result of some of your programs and the little additional research, I developed the attached document since I am particularly interested in the interim state of the Christian. I believe you have a different term for what I've labeled three stages of eternal life. And she's, of course, talking about when you're here on earth, after you die, and then after Judgment Day. Right. So... Please talk about the interim state of the unbeliever. Are we to assume that the soul of the unbeliever goes to hell at the time of death? Now, that's really a pretty good question. From from my point of view, it's clear that people go to Gehenna. um, And that's not strictly hell. Uh, Sometimes it could be where the evil spirits are. But there appears to be a place that the dead go to prior to Judgment Day, and then they're either sent to hell or heaven. Did you come up with something different? Oh, really? Yeah, I always kind of thought that uh, that they went to hell. It's pointed unto man once to live, once to die, and then comes the judgment. That that uh, that's out of Hebrews, and also out of. Uh, Corinthians, it says, we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Well, you can back that up with the Apostles' Creed, because it says that Christ Uh, descended into... Hell. Yes. And And even says who's there. Those are the spirits of those who had died during the flood of Noah. Well, there there you would have it, that that they, they, they do... I I was uh looking at at uh where where is paradise for those that are the believers. Yes. Um and the evidence for that is what Jesus said 
at the cross to the thief. Mm. Today you will be with me. In paradise. Yes. Uh, The term paradise was actually used in Judaism. That's that Jewish faith, different than the Old Testament. It talked, uh, I think, seven levels of uh, heaven and paradise, and that was one of the levels. And it appears that God used that, borrowed that term, uh, to talk about the interim. So there's no doubt, and we say this at funerals, that our loved ones definitely are where there is no more pain, sorrow, sickness, death. They're in bliss. And so we would therefore say that there would be a distinction where the folks who are unbelievers go. Can you remember that parable of Lazarus and... It's an Abraham, wasn't it? Yes, Lazarus and Dives. And Dives says to, what does he say to Abraham? (laughs) Send him back to talk to my family about uh, what a terrible place this is. Yes. And um, that is a parable. So we do not get doctrine from parables because a lot of times they're kind of an imagery. Because in that parable, it appears that Abraham, I'm sorry, but Dives is able to see Lazarus. He sees him in his joy and his peace. And Abraham responds to the question of Dives. By the way, the word Dives isn't necessarily the name of the rich man. It's just the word for rich. Rich. And he says they already have Moses and the prophets. If they don't listen to them, they won't even listen if one rises from the dead. Yeah. Which Jesus did. And, you know, that almost parallels in a in a sense, the uh, road to Emmaus, he uses the word to talk about his resurrection. Which words? The word of God, the, the Old Testament prophet. Oh, oh, yes, yes. He explains the reason for his crucifixion and resurrection. And therefore, if you go through the scriptures, that's clear. There's also in the Old Testament where it's clear that at one's death, the spirit separates from the body. Right, that's Ecclesiastes. Yep. The spirit returns to God who gave it, and the body returns to dust, to the earth which gave it. So there is a private judgment as soon as a person dies, and that would send them either to the place of the unbelievers or the place of the believers. Right. Well, in Second Corinthians, we talk about it, that we walk by faith, not by sight, and then we all must appear before the judgment seat. You go into Second Corinthians chapter 6, and it says, now is the day of salvation. So that private judgment is based upon right now, whether we believe or don't believe. Right. Good point. Um, Her next point is, assuming that all people are judged at the time of their death, can we picture this happening? Christ exercises his victorious power over the devil on judgment day when he raises the bodies of unbelievers, snatches their souls from the devil's grip in hell, reunites their souls with their bodies, and condemns them back to hell. Now, she's got a chronological kind of thing And where I would question it, 
I don't think he snatches their souls from the devil's grip in hell. I think that in hell, their bodies are just reunited with their spirits. That I would agree with you. And, and the power of the devil is power gained because of sin, which we see in Genesis chapter 3. So his power is due to, to his sin, and, and it's the sin of mankind. Well, that really is a good point to make. It leads us into her next comment. Please explain why the devil cannot claim some victory over Christ since unbelievers have succumbed to the work of the devil, have rejected Christ as the promised Savior, and are ultimately part of the devil's kingdom. See, and there again, it's because it's gained through through sin. Um, The Bible also says, for instance, in 1 John 3, that when we commit sin, we, we are of the devil. Yes, if you're talking about a, a victory, uh, for for example, when two nations are at war and one of the nations has a whole number of prisoners uh, in the prison of their enemy, they may be able to get to those prisons, but some of the people may have already been put to death. And therefore, the people they save, that still is a victory for that one nation, even though there were some people they could get could not get to in time, and I wouldn't say that that was a victory of the enemy. That really becomes a victory of the nation, and that's what Jesus has done. We're already part of the kingdom of Satan when we are born, and what happens? Jesus becomes successful in removing the elect from that devilish kingdom to the kingdom of the Holy Christian Church on earth, and then, of course, eternal heaven. Heaven. Or in First John chapter 2, you know, the devil cannot accuse us before God because Christ is our advocate. Yes. Yes. Uh, what does advocate mean? It's not a word used that often. Well, advocate would be something like a lawyer. He he, he stands in our stead. Yes, he would be the defense attorney, in contrast to the devil, who's the prosecutor. There, you you almost get a whole picture then of 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 a stacked court courtroom scene because we appear before his judgment seat. He is our judge, and then he's also our defense attorney. Yes. Uh, she's got two questions here. Can we consider Christ's condemnation of believers on Judgment Day to be like their public sentencing for their rejection of Christ as their Savior? Now, she asks that right after she agrees that there is that private judgment at the point of their death. And she's asking, is the Judgment Day a public sentencing? Well, it's uh, it's the same way in a court. We, we see in our courtrooms, you know, a person is declared guilty or innocent, and then at a later date they pronounce the, the sentence. That's a good point, yes. A good way of kind of looking at that, that unbelievers on a Judgment Day. She also needs to remember Judgment Day is going to be coming when there are a lot of unbelievers still on earth. 
Oh yeah, well, and and believers themselves. You know, it goes back to that passage in Corinthians that I was talking about, that now is the day of salvation. God looks into the heart to see if you're a believer now. That's an important point you make. He looks into the heart, not into the head, because our head often is messed up with doctrine, and that's why we encourage people to attend church and Bible study every week in order to get their head to catch up with their heart. And the heart we're talking about is not the carnal heart, the sinful heart, but the heart that David talks about in Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. And that heart has perfect faith. And I've often found that People will have a disagreement on some theology or such in a Bible study, and then I'll show a Bible verse, and right away they'll say, oh, yeah, that's right. And they'll change their understanding of that because the Holy Spirit is working in their heart. Good point. Good point. The other uh, question she asks, can we consider that Judgment Day for believers after they are publicly vindicated, will be like a graduation celebration. <laughs> well, we, we, wouldn't you uh, say the Revelation passage where they gather around the throne worthy of the Lamb? Yes, that's chapter 5 where they're singing to the Lamb in the same way they sang to the Father in Revelation 4, uh, the Ancient of Days, but in Revelation 4, they're giving him glory and honor, etc., because he created, but in Revelation 5, they give the same glory and honor to the Lamb because he redeemed. Wouldn't you say, though, too, that a Sunday morning worship is also a gathering around the altar and the throne of God and giving glory and praise to the Lamb? Yeah, yes, there's no doubt about that. Uh, when John the Baptizer talks about, Behold the Lamb of God, that's the purpose of every worship service and Bible study, is to point forward Jesus as the Lamb of God. Now, some of these comments and questions are a little bit difficult to understand because we don't have the clear chronology in the Bible about specifically where are the two places for the believers who died and the unbelievers. Uh, they're, they're mentioned because you've got the parable with uh, Dives and Lazarus. They're in two different places. You've got the situation with the sheep and the goats. They're going to two different places. But uh, a lot of times, it's not that we're speculating, but we need to be careful that we don't go beyond the Scripture uh, to say something that when we get to heaven is not going to be correct. <laughs> I think you're correct in that. I, 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 more I looked at it, the more I got to thinking he, he's really talking about his life with him because the Lord looks at it, it, looks down and he sees it as life and death. Life with him and life without him is death. Yes, and, and that's where Jesus even refers to the unbelievers as the walking dead. Because they have no life in them, because the life only can come from Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Life. 
John chapter 10, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Uh, by the way, that's the lesson for this coming week. It's a Good Shepherd Sunday, and uh, that's where that comes from. Jesus as the Good Shepherd. In fact, it's kind of interesting. I did a little study on that on Wednesday. Uh, Jesus is the shepherd, and then you also have a fellow who's guarding the gate, and then you have the gate itself that Jesus says he is. Right. He's all of those things. Yes. You got John, John chapter 11 where he, he talks with Martha and he talks about that he is the resurrection and the life. Exactly. The other email that we might be able to get to is by an individual who appreciated what we answered not long ago on the Lord's Supper. And uh, he got a much better idea on it. But here's the one question that uh, I was unaware of. Um, He was talking about C.F.W. Walther and also Luther. And it was talking about their practices and serving those with dementia. Should one therefore give a person with dementia the Lord's Supper? Martin Luther and uh, Carl Walther would approach the situation differently. Martin Luther would give the person communion. Walther would not. Do you have any initial comments on that? I'm in between. What does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) Well, when I would go out and do uh, private communions with those seven dimensions, there were days that I knew I couldn't give them communion because they didn't understand anything that I was doing. Exactly. At that point. And then there would be the days that I would see them, and they were very lucid. They, they knew what day it was. They knew what was going on. And we'd have uh, good talks, and they'd go, they're in their full faculties. Yes, the uh, coffee hour was just talking about the uh, Bethesda program that helps uh, people uh, in these situations. And I asked them when I came in, I said, uh, what Bethesda does do baptisms. And I was corrected that they don't do them, but they contact a pastor in a congregation who comes in and then makes a decision for the baptism. I don't have problems with baptisms because we do it even with infants. Right. But when it comes to the Lord's Supper, I think you were spot on. It all depends, that's what you mean by in between, on the situation. I I had a real close friend of mine who was going through this illness of dementia. And there were times I was told, because it never happened when I was visiting him, that he actually was using swear words at his children, which they had never heard before. Now, that would be an indication that at that point he was a, not a fully mind. But often when I visited him, he knew who I was. He knew about the church. And when I asked him about the Lord's Supper, he definitely wanted it. Right. Yeah, I remember a situation where I had to leave my calling card with the date on it because uh, they would ask their, their mother if, I, if I'd been there. And she said, no, he hasn't been here for for months. Yes. (laughs) And I had just been there the week before. 
Yeah, there's no doubt that's kind of um, a common thing that some members of congregations are upset over pastors because they do not visit. I just ran across a situation where a man had uh, heart surgery, and the pastor afterwards says he w- wasn't able to get there because he didn't have enough time. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, you and I react that way immediately. Can you imagine that? Jesus, well, you know, this person wants to ask you about healing his daughter. Well, tell him I'm kind of busy right now. <laughs> well, even before they had the heart surgery, we, we tried to have a devotion with them. Yeah, a lot of time in an emergency situation, you don't get that opportunity. Yeah. But in this case, we do. Now, in this last letter... He had something that I had never heard before or I've forgotten about, and that is frog. Frog. Take a look at the very last lines of the email. Okay. You see it? Oh, frog signature. Forgiven through the righteousness of God. Oh. I never heard of that. And I hadn't either. You know, they got one for grace, don't they? Yeah, God's riches at Christ's expense. Yes, that's really good. But frog, forgiven through the righteousness of Christ. Yeah. And um, the individual who wrote this talks about, I guess, in the area where he lives, there's a frog pond. And so I don't know if he made this up, but he gave two Bible verses. You mentioned the one, 1 Corinthians one thirty, yeah, and Philippians 3.9. Huh. So that's kind of good. Yeah, people may want to write this down. Uh, go over again the grace. God's, God's riches, riches at Christ's expense. Yes. And then we got a new one now. Frog, Frog. forgiven through the righteousness of God. Now, that's really what the whole Reformation was about. Because remember, Martin Luther, he was having a terrible time with the righteousness of God because he was reading the Bible, as were the philosophers of his day, that you had to uh, reach that righteousness of God before God would save you. And he discovered, no, that righteousness of God that is applied to me is actually the righteousness of Christ. And it's kind of like a robe of righteousness that he puts on me, and that's why I'm saved. Or I call it a a bakerism. If you die tonight or you pass on tonight, who do you give all the credit to? Right. Yeah, and you can't give any credit to yourself if you think you're the one who invited Christ into the heart. That That's just false teaching. Or that you became righteous enough so God said, oh, finally, he's reached that point. And the person I always bring up to those who think you have to become righteous enough is Saul. Hmm. He was killing Christians when God decided to make him apostle to the Gentiles. Now that if, if anything shows you that it's not by our works we're saved, that's a perfect example. 
We remember that hymn, Chief of Sinners, so I be. Christ is all in all to me. Exactly. And, and that's why really good hymns are always focusing on the work of Christ as to why we are saved uh, by a gift. I was talking to someone recently. Well, it was in Uber. And uh, he was asking me, well, what's wrong with the world today? We got in a good conversation. And they said, well, there's two different kinds of religions. In Christianity, you don't have to do anything. It's already done. Whereas in every other religion, how do you put it? You got to do it. You got to do it. And it was as though he had never heard that before. Uh, I I gave him, by the way, a a card for KFUO, and perhaps he's listening today. But uh, we had a great ride And, um, yeah, I got a lot of rides that day uh, because the St. Louis Blues were playing hockey and they won number seven. (laughs) So that was always some, a lot of people going down there. All righty. Well, thank you very much. And uh, we'll keep in touch, possibly for next Thursday. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel, I will be responding to some more emails that I received and will also be opening up for questions. I'm Tom Baker and also from West Rheimnitz. God bless. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.